Okay, thank you everyone for tuning in and, and attending on the Zoom. Um, tonight we are continuing our analysis of the Sidur. And we are holding at the Shabbat Tefillah. We just finished the Shabbat Shachrit. And the last thing we looked at last week was the Kedushah of Shabbat Shachrit. And as we noted in the Ashkenaz Sidurim, the Ashkenazi Dream have a special kiddusha for uh, they have a special kiddusha for Shabbat and we demonstrated last week how that special kiddusha was not actually one unique that was written for Shabbat. However, that kiddusha was an original version of the kiddusha uh, that was originally said in the time of the Gaonim and eventually got replaced in Sfarad and later in, uh, in other countries by the simpler version that the Sfaradim use today, which is Naktishach Menaritzach. So originally, Mimkom Machat Tofia and Azbekora Ashkadol, those were things that were said every day. However, uh, the shorter versions were retained for the Emot HaChol, for the, secular, for the weekdays, and the uh, longer one was retained for the Shabbat. So that was the Avodah that we worked on last week. We tried to do as much of the history as possible, and this week we should move a little further in the Sidur. And the next part of the Sidur in the Svaradi Sidurim is obviously Kriyata Torah and the procession and the order of taking out the Kriyata Torah. However, with due diligence to the Ashkenazim, there is a section of the Sidur in some Ashkenaz Sidurim where they put the Shir Shaliyom. The Shir Shalyom is the, the song of the day which the, the Leviim used to say on the platform in the Beit HaMikdash. They used to sing during the Nesachim, during the, the Korban offerings uh, in the Beit HaMikdash. They would sing their songs. And so there are seven different songs, uh, seven different parakim of Tilim that are mentioned in the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah. And the one for Shabbat is Mizmor Shir Liyom HaShabbat. And we discussed the Shir Shalyom a long time ago, all the different reasons for every single one, why you know, why each one is said on each day, and how this minhag originally wasn't universal. Uh, there were some early Sidurim that had it, some early Sidurim that didn't. So, in the Ashkenaz Sidurim, you will find, in the more recent ones, and especially Nusach Svard, after Shachrit, they will say the Shir Shalyom. In some older ones, you'll find the Shir Shalyom after Musaf. Um, and, honestly, the the most of the Spanish and the Svaradisi dream that I have found do not include the Shir Shalyom on Shabbat. And I've never had a real clarity as to why this was. Most likely the Shir Shalyom always had its component place in the Tefillah as a Minhag, and the Shachrit prayers were long enough. And because we said Mizmor Shir Shalyom Shabbat in the Pesuke de Zimra, and plenty of people say it uh, when returning the Torah, its place in the in the in the by adding it as a separate section in the tefillah, probably felt redundant. Um, there are those who will say Mizmor Shir uh, Hayom Yom uh, Shabbat Kodesh, and will skip Hashir Shehu Levim Omrim Al for some reason. Uh, I, I'm not entirely clear why they do that. There's, there's, um, I'm not, I'm not clear why some Ashkenazim put it before, uh, before Kriyat Haturah, and some put it after. But that's what happened, and the early Sudarim don't seem to mention the Shir Shalyom on Shabbat at all. 
notably the manuscript Sidurim, that's not really a proof because in the manuscripts nobody's writing anything superfluous because those are handwritten. If there's something which is understood to be said, the reader would understand to say it, and they'll just write, okay, say it. But the, but, uh, the Minhag of saying Shir Shoyom is not a Sfaradi one, it is only an Ashkenaz one, and I'm not clear why that Minhag developed the way it did. I don't have any sources to explain to you why it is the case. Maybe eventually in the future I'll find somebody who discusses this, but I, I, till today I have not found a broad discussion of whether or not to say it on Shabbat. My assumption is that most of the Sfaradim forego it because it is already said in the Pesukei de Zimra. Okay, so tonight we're going to look at Kriyata Torah. Um, we're learning a little bit L'Shem Shemayim. I wish I was as prepared as I could be because uh, I had twins. <laughs> and um, we're going to do our best to uh, learn as much as we could about Kriyata Torah tonight. We'll give a little bit of an introduction in regards to the Kriyata Torah of Shabbat. And in order to do that, we're going to have to wind the clock back as we did many shirim ago. I don't remember how long ago this was, probably uh, eight months ago or so. When we discussed Kriyata Torah in general and the source for Kriyata Torah, and we'll take a little look at that history. So the earliest um, biblical source, so to speak, for saying a for the Jewish people getting together and reading from a Sefer Torah together is Hakel, right? After the Shemitah, there's a, there's a, a ritual where the king will read from the Sefer Torah to the Jewish people from Sefer Devarim. And then later in the Torah, we find that in Sefer Nehemiah, in Parakhet, uh, after the Jewish people successfully rebuilt part of the wall of Yerushalayim, Ezra approaches the Jewish people, and in a celebratory ritual, he uh, reads the Sefer Torah to the, pe to the people who congregated there. So those are the two earliest sources that we have in the Torah itself, in the Tanakh, of a person getting up and reading from a Sefer Torah to the Jewish people. That's the earliest source in Tanakh. Now, the idea of doing Kriyat Torah as part of the liturgy, as part of, uh, really as part of the daily prayers, doesn't come around until much later, in the time of the Gemara is the first time it's mentioned, sorry, in the time of the Mishnah is the first time it's mentioned. However, the, by the time of the Mishnah, the Tanaim considered it already an ancient custom. They considered it a practice which had been going on for a very long time. And besides the Mishnahic sources in Megillah, anyone who's learned Masech Megillah Dafyomi will know a lot of what we're going to discuss tonight, but besides for those sources, there are also uh, non-Jewish sources which corroborate the, the um, I'm sorry, let me just admit somebody, the testimony that the Jewish people did read the Sefer Torah uh, in public. We have, uh, we have in, in Philo and Josephus and, and in the Christian Testament, there's, there's many mentions of the Jewish people having this practice where a rabbi would get up, an elder would get up, and they would have the, the, the reading of the Torah. So we know that at least, even, even before the period of the Tanaim, there was a, even without the evidence from the Mishnah, we would know that there was uh, a reading of the Torah that happened before the time or during the time of the Tanaim. But we have the, the, um, the Misorah from the Gemara itself, and that's what we're going to discuss tonight. Uh, perhaps we'll 
if needed, we'll reference other external sources for specific nuances, like whether or not you need one person, uh, how many psukim you need, and such as things like that, different different sources. But for now, let's look at the Gemara together. It's a Gemara, famous one that we did previously in Baba Kama, Daf Pebet Amud Aleph. So the Gemara in Baba Kama makes a um, reference to the Takanat Ezra, the Takanot of Ezra. And let me pull it up if I can. These are the famous 10 Takanot, which Ezra Hasofer, the Navi, uh, put together for the Jewish people. And if we look here, we have the list. I think it's actually in the previous page in, um, in the Mishnah. So over here, Asara Takanot Tikein Ezra, right? Shekorim b'minchav Shabbat, that you should read the Torah on minchav Shabbat. So all of these takanot. Says the Gemara, let's learn this together. Ezra Tikein asked the Gemara, was it Ezra who, was, who instituted this idea of reading the Torah on Mondays, Thursdays, and on Shabbat Mincha? Wasn't it? Um, instituted earlier, the Jewish people wandered in the desert for three uh, days and they did not find water. This is a very unique term, but it's saying those who, uh, the, those who do drashot, the rabbis who do drashot, they have said about this pasuk, water is nothing besides Torah, as the Pasuk says in Ishayahu, that all those who are thirsty should go to water, meaning that you have to learn Torah. Because there were three days that went without Torah, Nilu, they became wary, and that's why they complained. So, Amdu Nevi'im Shebenehem, says the Gemara, the prophets among them rose up, Vitiknu Lehem, and instituted for them Shiyu Korin Bishabbat, Umafsikin Bechad Bishabbat, they should read on Shabbat. Then, Puaz Sunday. And then continue to read Vikorin Bishani, and then read on Monday, Umafsikin Shashiravi, and then and then pause for Tuesday, Wednesday. Vikorin Bahamishi and then read on Thursday. Umafsikin out of Shabbat and now on Thursday. Kideshali Alinu Gimul Yamin Belotara. In order so that the Jewish people should never ever uh, sleep three days without the Torah. Meikara tiknu had gavra tiltapisuke, inami tilta gavre tiltapisuke, kineget kwanim levim yisraelim, atahu tiken tilta gavreva sarapisuke. So so, the Gemara says that originally, what happened was, and this is the answer that the Gemara is giving us, originally the Takana was that one person should read three Pesukim. Or you could say three people would read three Pesukim for the Kohanim, Levim, and Yisraelim. Atahu, however, he came, Tiken Tilta Gavri, he made a Takana that three people should read a minimum of ten verses. Asara Pesukim. Keneged Asara Batanim. This is in honor of the ten batlanim who uh, this every city has. So batlanim does not mean what you think it does. In, in our times, a batlan is somebody who does, you know, it's just a really slang for somebody who, who isn't learning when he's supposed to be learning. However, in their times, the batlanim were, were ten people who designated their time for uh, Torah, for learning Torah. So some of the Rishonim say that... Um, that this means like you have three Dayanim in the town, you have a Moel, you have a Shochet, you have a Rabbi, you have, you know, you're always going to have, a, in, a, in a sizable town, you're going to have at least 10 people whose job it is to sit and learn or to serve the people. So in honor of those 10 people, we have at least 
ten pesukim. So this is the attribution of this um, of this gemara, and it's saying that Ezra Hasofer uh, added onto this takana of the time of the Nevi'im, and he made at least three people reading ten pesukim. So what this sounds like is that the original ancient uh, institution from Ezra HaSofer was simply minimum 10 pesukim, minimum 3 people. Meaning before that, people did less. And from the time of Ezra and onwards, it is quite possible that when people had an, op- had an obligation to read the Torah, whether it was on Shabbat, whether it was on Monday or Thursday, they didn't necessarily do more than 10 pesukim. This is just uh, explicit here in the Gemara. It wasn't until later, in the time of the Tanaim, where a system began to be built. Now, I should point out that the Rambam doesn't say, the Rambam's version is, we say, that the prophets among them rose up and they were the ones who made this Takana. The Rambam says that it was Moshe Rabbeinu. He doesn't say, So the Kesef Mishneh, the, uh, the uh, Beit Yosef, he, uh, remarks simply that most likely the Rambam just infers it because no, none of the Nevi'im, none of the leaders of the Jewish people would do anything with, if it wasn't with the consent of Moshe Rabbeinu. Therefore, under his auspices, the Takana was uh, was uh, was was instituted, and this uh, institution was ratified that we should read the Torah once every uh, three days at minimum. However, the this is the opinion of the Bavli. The Yerushalmi has a different uh, version of events, as well as the in Masechet Sofrim, Daf, uh, sorry, Perak Yud. I think it's yeah, Brisa Aleph. Though the also the Rishonim, the Rosh and the Rif, they all assume this. They say that Moshe Rabbeinu instituted reading on Shabbat and Yom Tov. Ezra added on the institution of doing Shabbat and Yom Tov, and he said that we should do also on Monday, Thursday, and Shabbat Mincha. That is the assumption of the Yerushalmi, that is their Mesorah. And therefore, we have two conflicting histories, exactly what happened. However, at the end of the day, this means, all of this means, that the requirement for us to read from the Torah on Shabbat is not biblical in nature. It is not a Deoraita, it is a Takana of the Chachamim, it is a Takana of either of the Nevi'im, or the Chachamim, depending on, on, on which version of the Bavli Yerushalmi you take. But this is a uh, halacha from Moshe, not a halacha from Moshe Messina, it's a Takanat Nevi'im. So, an important point about this being a Takanat Nevi'im is that the way it should be done and uh, the halachot for many of the halachot for how it is done were created and ratified in the time of the Mishnah, and some of them were even uh, eventually ironed out even later. For example, there are halachot about Kriyat Torah, which only became a problem today. If you take, uh, there's a lamdash shayla, right? There's a a complex problem in the halachot of Kriyat Torah, and I I hope not to spend too much time on the halachot of Kriyat Torah because they're very difficult and very broad. But there's a, a famous problem of whether or not the chiyuv of uh, Kriyat Torah is birabim. Is it, a, is, it a, is it an obligation on the co- congregation? Or is it an obligation on each individual collectively? So if the obligation is on the congregation, if a person misses it, he doesn't have to refulfill it. 
And if the obligation is on the individual as well, then if you do miss it, you would have to, you would have to fulfill it. Now that's a simple nafkamina, uh, that's a simple difference, but today it gets a little bit more complex. For example, we ha- often have people who fly uh, to and from Eretz Yisrael. And what happens if you're in Eretz Yisrael for uh, Sukkot? And at the end of Sukkot, it's a two-day, it, Sukkot ends up, Shmini Atzeret ends up, I'm sorry, on Shabbat. And, sorry, the last day of Sukkot, Simchat Torah, ends up on Shabbat. So in Chutz Laaretz, they're going to skip it. They're going to read everything for Simchat Torah. But in Eretz Yisrael, that Shabbat's going to be Shabbat Breshit, if I'm remembering correctly. And then you're basically going to, you're going to miss. So when you get back to the States, you're going to, the States are going to be one behind. Eretz Yisrael is going to be one ahead. Eventually they get fixed. But it happens often that people go to and from Eretz Yisrael, and in Eretz Yisrael, they're one Shabbat behind, they're one Shabbat ahead. So the poskim deal with this today because, um, again, this takanas, it's not the oraita, but figuring out a lot of the nuances for how the takanas should, uh, should appear and how it should be done uh, has gone on for a very, very long time, simply because we don't have uh, so much, uh, what's the word? We don't have explicit direction from the doraita. For example, another one of these nebulous uh, problems with Kriyat Torah is the problem of a meturgaman. Now, in the time of the Tanaim, and if you look explicitly in the Mishnah in, in Megillah, in the Gemara, and Daf, uh, Lamed Bet, Amod Aleph, and I think even Lamed Aleph, Amod Bet, in Megillah, in the time of the Tanaim, there was a requirement that when they read the Torah in the public, the reader would read one pasuk, and next to him you would have another person who would read the same pasuk over again in Aramaic, who would read the Targum of that pasuk. One, then the other, one, then the other, one, then the other. So yeah, Kriyat Torah took longer, presuming that they said the whole parasha, and that was the minhag in the time of the Tanaim, and it's brought in the Torah in, uh, in uh, Kuf uh, Memhei. However, for some reason, this minhag, and Tosfot already points out that by his time and his place, uh, this minhag was not the case. For some reason, there was a form of the... Uh, of the Kriyat Torah, which seemed to be an obligation in the time of the Mishnah, for everybody to read the the Torah and and read, they would read one pasuk, and then the person next to them would say the Targum, and so on and so forth. Furthermore, in the time of the Tanaim, everybody knew uh, how to read it by themselves. So every person who was Oleh, every one of the seven people who would get up and and do Kriyat Torah by uh, on Shabbat. Each person would read his own portion, and he would uh, work alongside the Maturgaman. The only people who still do this today are the Temanim. You go to Temani Shul, and you're going to have every person getting up himself, and he's going to read uh, his own portion, and then the Maturgaman helps him, uh, and, they, and they do one pasuk, and they, they alternate one to the other. So the Rishonim assumed that the reason for this was because the reason that we don't do this anymore is simply because so many people are not fluent anymore. And in a past, from a passing remark of the Gemara, where the Gemara says, yeah, but in a place where there are not Bikim, the uh, Halakha became that instead they replaced it with a Chazan. They replaced all of it with a uh, Chazan. The exact history of that is a little complicated because in the time of the Geonim, they were already asked, or Natronai was already asked the Sheila about what to do if nobody, if nobody knows how to read besides one guy. <laughs> he actually poskins that, that he should do all seven Aliyot. That person should do all seven Aliyot. But the Rishonim did not actually see it that way. And uh, eventually the Minhag became to appoint a Chazan for everybody. And so nobody's embarrassed. And we have one Chazan who reads all seven 
uh, aliyot. So that's that's the halacha that eventually emerged. Uh, I, I wish I could delve more in, more precisely into each component of this history, but that's that's um, uh, that's just a surface level. Uh, what's the word? A surface level overview of how that developed. Okay, so one more thing I wanted to point out. I forgot to mention that. Part of the problem with this Gemara here that we just looked at in, sorry, I'll stop the share, here in, in, in Baba Kama, is that the, the, it says that they made a Takana for reading the Torah after the Jewish people went three days without water. The problem is that the entire Torah was not written yet. Depending on how you, this Machoket Tanaim exactly how and when the Torah was written. Was it written in stages, or was it written completely when Moshe Rabbeinu um, was an iftar? But at the end of the day, the entire Torah was not written. So this, uh, Tosafot already, you know, alludes to this, and the Torah was not completely given yet, Moshe had not gone to Shemayim yet, so <laughs> there's, there's, there's a little, a, a bunch of interesting components here. So it's quite possible that the, Tosafot points out that Monday and Thursday, we're not just chosen because... Okay, let me, let me back up here. Tosafot asks... Tosafot's specific question is, why Monday and Thursday? Why not Sunday, Wednesday? Why don't we do Sunday, Tuesday, um, Friday? Why do we specifically do Monday, Thursday? Tosafot's answer is because Monday and Thursday, Moshe Rabbeinu came up and went down uh, from the Har, and therefore those are special days of Din, uh, special days of Rachamim, I'm sorry, and, and therefore uh, they chose Monday, Thursday, the Achronim ask on that, what are you talking about? Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu never even went up to begin with, so I'm sorry if I misspoke before. And therefore, uh, how could that be the reason? And the Maral and others, they all answer that Monday and Thursday have an innate power, and Monday and Thursday are important, Which so they chose Monday and Thursday, they didn't choose other days, they didn't do Sunday, Tuesday, or any other system like that. Sunday, Wednesday, really, I guess, is how you would, you would do it. And we discussed back when we did the Tachnun of Monday and Thursday, exactly, uh, we discussed back then that there's, uh, different, there's, there's different um, Kabbalistic reasons. The Zohar says those days represent Ruach, and on Shabbat it's Neshama, so there's different reasons why Monday and Thursday were chosen. Okay. Let's go a little bit further into the history, and I hope we might have to have a much shorter shiur tonight because I did not have, have as much time, but we'll get through this. The, there are discussions in the Gmaran Megillah and in the Toseftan Megillah, which discuss the four special parashiot of Shabbat. So we all know Parashat Para, Parashat Shkalim, Parashat Zachor, Parashat Achodesh, four special parashiot. It's the Mishnan in, uh, in Megillah. And it's undisputed among all the researchers who spent tons and tons and tons of work on trying to trace the history of, of Kriyat Torah that these four readings were probably the first four readings of Kriyat Torah that were special for Shabbat. Because in the time of the Tanaim, we can prove, based on both the Mishnah and the Gemara and the Tosefta and the Ushami, on many places, that in the time of the Tanaim, there was no cycle as we're familiar with it today. The way we're familiar with it today is that there's 53 parashiot, and they get split up between all the weeks of the, of, of the year, and we have parashat breshit, noach, lecha chabayera. However, the Gemara over there discusses, uh, with her mayor and a couple of other tana, uh, Tanaim, 
specifically, first of all, how the Torah should be read, and second of all, what weeks of the year are going to coincide with Zachar and Shkalim. So let me clarify what I'm saying. When you get up to Chodesh Adar, what parasha is going to be read simultaneously on the same Shabbat as Parashat Zachar? And which parasha is going to be the same one read? Like, will we end up at the, the parasha of Amalek in Chodesh Adar? So that would be impossible if uh, you follow the Babylonian calendar. And in some cases, it would be impossible even if you follow uh, the Eretz Yisrael calendar. So it is clear that the, in the time of the Tanaim, they did not follow the parasha system that we have today, which goes Bereshit Noach Lecha starting after Sukkot. However, later in the time of the Tanaim, they, developed, they definitely developed a system because in the Gemara Megillah, there is a discussion between the Tanaim, really an argument, whether uh, how to do the Kriyat Torah. Do you do uh, Monday, Thursday? Do you continue? Uh, does Monday and Thursday and Shabbat, do they continue the, the readings? Uh, do, is it basically the, the do, you start on, do you start the parasha on Monday and resume it on Thursday and then finish it on Shabbat? Or do you read the same parasha Monday, the same parasha Thursday, and then re, uh, restart from Shabbat as we do today? So we find already in their time that they did not have such a fixed system. Eventually, in the time of the Tanaim, they did develop a system according to the parashiot. Now, it must be clarified that the 53, or whatever the precise number is, I think it's 53, parashiot that we have in the Hamishe Chumshe Torah, which we call Bereshis Noach, Lech Chavayer, Chayesara, all etc., those names, those are... Not, I wouldn't say arbitrary, but those are a product of the system of Bavel. The names for these parashiot are fairly recent. The, the, the Gemara refers to, refers to them with slightly longer names, right? Like Yitisat Rosh or, or Tzavat Bnei Israel. But after the time of the Amoraim was when the names of these parashiot uh, began to uh, get their own their own name. Typically the name was chosen based on the first couple words of the parasha. Once you had 53 ways to divide the Torah, once you had 53 parashiot, that was when they were able to start designating names to each one of them. If you look in a Sefer Torah, very often there will be a break, but those breaks happen in more than, in many places, not just between a proper quote-unquote parasha. It'll happen between different parashiot of halachot. So if you have the parasha of Nazir and then the parasha of Sotah, there'll be a break between them. And sometimes in the Talmud, it'll refer to something as the parasha of Nazir or the parasha of Sotah or the parasha of Tefillin, the parasha of Shema, because there's a break, there's a chapter uh, designated in the Sefer Torah for that topic. Uh, most people will know that the, the, the numerology, the, 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 the numbering system is, is actually not Jewish. That's more, that's more of a Christian product. So the Babylonians, the, the, the Amoraim, in the time of the Amoraim, they developed a system of roughly 53 uh, parashiot, which began after Sukkot. And this system is attested to in the Sefer Behag, which is a, a Geonic work, and is probably written by Shimon Kayara and, and uh, based on Rehudai Gaon. And that system is laid out in the Behag precisely, and many of the, um, I'm sorry, one second. I have to, okay. Um, many of the 
halachic sources after that also cite this Bahag. Sometimes they don't even cite it by name, but they list the exact order for um, for the parashiot after Sukkot and what happens if this Yom Tov gets in the way, what happens if that Yom Tov gets in the way. So this system has been in, in, in force since the time of the, uh, the Geonim, if not earlier. We've had it codified since their time at the very latest. Now, anyone who's learned Daf Yomi will remember from the from a Gemara and Megillah, I'm pretty sure. So the they will remember that the Gemara mentions that in Eretz Yisrael, they did not keep a 53 parasha system. Instead, they kept a three and a half year system, meaning they didn't read the, they didn't finish the entire Hamishah Chumshei Torah every single year. They finished it every roughly three and a half years. And you might wonder to yourself, well, what about Simchat Torah? Well, congratulations. Simchat Torah is a minhag from the time of the Geonim. It is not a uh, minhag from uh, the time of the Gemara. So the, the, the Eretz Yisrael minhag is split into roughly 150 to 175 different parashiot. And some people will be surprised to hear this. Wait, there's 150 parashiot? Well, yes. Um, if you look in, uh, open up a, a Bereshit Rabbah, open up any Midrash, and you'll see if you open Bereshit Rabbah and Bamidbar Rabbah, it'll say on the top, Bereshit Noach Lechavayerov, you get the newer ones, but it'll also say Parshita Aleph, Parshita Bet, Parshita Lamidzayin, Parshita. It divides it differently. If you open a Medrash Rabbah, which is from Eretz Yisrael, it divides the entire Sefer Breshit and the entire Sefer Shemot and Vayikra and, and, uh, and uh, Bamidbar and Tevarim, it divides them differently. Each one of them has between uh, 25 and, 30 and 45 uh, different parashiot, and that is a direct product of how in the time of the Amoraim the er- and the time of the Tanaim, in Eretz Yisrael, they had a completely different system. There were groups that had as little as 140 parashiot. There were groups that had as many as 175. The exact study of which groups did what is quite detailed. Um, I'd love to go through with it, through it with everybody if I was smart enough and I had enough time. Uh, <laughs> however, if we were going to get into that nitty-gritty, you actually have to pull out Piyutim from Yanai. One of the early Paitanim was Yanai. And he, he lived in the time probably in the 6th century, 5th century. And he wrote Piyutim for the different festivals, different holidays, and the different times of year. And he, obviously, followed the Minhag of Eretz Yisrael, because he was from Eretz Yisrael. And his Piyutim, let's say he wrote a Piyut for Purim, or he wrote a Piyut for uh, Rosh Hashanah, would mention, not Rosh Hashanah, but uh, let's say Sukkot, would mention the time of year, or the weather. Sometimes the Piyut would mention the weather, it would mention... Uh, it would mention which it would it would bring uh, inferences from the parasha of the week, and those poems are extremely useful in figuring out which which weeks they said what in in their three and a half year cycle. So a lot of that uh, original menhag was reconstructed uh, from a research perspective based on piyutim and based on uh, many early uh, sources as to when they began. And uh, Sefer Chiluf Min Hagim also, who's a very reliable source, has a lot more detail on this. There were some researchers who believed that it was a strictly three-year cycle, but um, I, I don't believe that that's, that was ever the case. It was most likely always a three-and-a-half-year cycle with some variation between, uh, between the groups. 
Now, this practice is actually mentioned in the Rambam. The Rambam mentions that on Shabbat there are some places which read the Torah for uh, w- within three years. This is in Perak uh, Yud Gimel. There is also a testimony of uh, uh, Binyamin of Tudela, of uh, Tudela, Toledo. I don't remember his name. Benjamin of Tudela. Uh, I, I don't remember what. He's basically the Jewish Marco Polo. Uh, not really so much of a rabbi, but he was a traveler and he did a lot of a lot of chronicling of of Asia, and he did chronicling of his travels. And he mentions this minhag as well, that, that they, would, they would split it into every three and a half years. Um, there's record of this from, I believe there was a shul in Cairo uh, that he saw in the year roughly 1170. There's a, shul, a single shul in Cairo that still kept the minhag of, of Eretz Yisrael. And so we know already that in Egypt, for until at least the 12th century, there were still people who kept minhag at Eretz Yisrael. What's astonishing is that in the year 1670, there is another testimony from another historian, a Jewish historian, his name was Yosef uh, Sambari. He also cites that there are some people who do a three and a half year cycle. So that's actually an astonishing thing, that in the year 1670, there were still people, uh, at least a minority group of people, who were doing the three and a half year, uh, sorry. Oh yeah, that were still doing the three and a half year cycle. Um, I don't usually discuss this uh, because principally I disagree with many of the reform and conservative decisions for how they made their sidurim, but it should be known that when the reform started when the reform started in Europe, they believed that it was Tercha de Tzibura and that the uh, the congregation would get uh, too bored or it would take too long for everybody to finish the uh, the full uh, parashah Shabbat every single week. It took too long in shul. So the reform decided, and this was in Hamburg, in Berlin, in uh, in, uh, in Germany, they decided that they were going to go back to the old cycle, and they they actually printed a whole a whole list like a, like a chart, and they gave it out in the synagogue of Hamburg, and they gave out this chart to to uh, you know to try to push the three year cycle because it was much shorter. You didn't have to say the full parasha; you could say you know one third of it. The problem was that even with the reform, uh, who principally didn't care. Uh, much for halacha as much as we do, to say the very least, they still at least grew up traditional in the 1800s, and the force, the power of this convention to do Bereshit Noach, Lech Habeira could not be reckoned with. It's 1,500 years of Misorah, and it did not change. So what ended up happening was that the Reform Synagogue still did except they made the weirdest change, and that is that a lot of them will do, um, they'll either do Monday, Thursday, Shabbos, they'll split it into three, or one year they'll do the first third of Bereshus, the next year they'll do the second third of Bereshus, and the year after that they'll do the third, the, the third section of Bereshus. That's what they eventually settled on, simply because, as you could see, the habit of 1,500 years of Messiah could, uh, could not be broken. And... So there is, uh, as just to, just to, to mention, there were people who tried to revive it in the Orthodox communities. Obviously, this was never fully uh, revived. Halakhically speaking, the bare minimum would be uh, 10 pesukim or 20, 21, sorry, 21 pesukim for the Shabbat because you need seven olim. As the Gemara says explicitly, we need seven olim for the Shabbat. However, uh, this number has never typically been enforced, we typically, we follow the Mesorah, we follow Minhag Biadenu, and we follow the practice since the time of Bavel to do 
the full parashiot, which today we call Breshit Noach, Lech etc. We do the entire thing. If it's an emergency, obviously on Shabbat, uh, we could change things. If it's literally an emergency and, uh, I don't know, the Nazis are coming, run. Um, everyone has to run. And uh, if, according to some post it would be a chiyuv on the tzibor, it would not be a chiyuv on the yachid. So, speaking about that um, concept, it is important to make that distinction that the entire takana of Kriyat Torah is not a takana of tefillah. The, the takana of Kriyat Torah, and I hope we'll get, when we get into the, to the nuances of some, hopefully in the future, in the next two or three shurim, we'll get into a few more of the nuances. But it should be noted that this takana, this institution, and I hope we'll, we'll just end with this, is not a liturgical institution. The poskim make this clear, that we think of, of, of Kriyat Torah as an addendum to Shachrit, that it's part of Shachrit. The truth is, Kriyat Torah can be done all day. It is a takana, which its, it's, its purpose was, in order to make sure the Jewish people learn some Torah, at least three times a week, four times a week. And its purpose is limud ha-Torah. Its purpose has nothing to do with tefillah. There is a liturgical satellite system which accompanied it. There's Pesukim said before, there's alakol gadal, there's, there's brich shemei, there's a whole repertoire of tefillah which surrounds, and ritual which surrounds Kriyat Torah. But in and of itself, it is not a liturgical element. And it's reflected halachically by the fact that you'll see that if there, for example, if there was an emergency and everybody had to leave the shul after shachrit, they could come back three hours later and finish Kriyat Torah. That, that's the halacha. It's not specifically attached to shachrit. And if you look in the Seder of Amram Gaon, he actually doesn't attach it to shachrit at all. In the Seder of Amram Gaon, if you go back a thousand years, he'll say, Ubim Musaf, and by Musaf, Motzi in Seferat He considers, and I don't know why, he considers Kriyat Torah not a part of Shachrit, but rather a part of Musaf. And I don't know why that's the case. It is possible, and I've seen this in some sources, that originally the, there was a minhag, and I don't know how long this minhag actually stayed in force, but my, my suspicion is that the, at the very latest, the time of the Geonim, that they would do Shnai Mikrave Echad Targum B'Tzibor before the Kriyat Torah. So, Think about it. If you finish Shachrit, and then everybody stops, everyone sits down, and everybody together, like you, you know how the Gemara says that uh, that we have to read uh, uh, that uh, it's praiseworthy the person who finishes Shliach Shneimekavech uh, Targum Bitzibor every week. Why does it say Bitzibor? Because that was the Minhag. Every week after Shachrit, the entire congregation would sit down before Kriyat Torah. This is an extinct Minhag, and they would read Shneimekavech Targum of the entire parasha together, and then they would start Kriyat Torah. So if I'm guessing, and I don't know this to be a fact, because if it's true, it's missing in the Seder of Amram, that they would split up the Shachrit and Musaf by a period of time. Maybe they did a Kiddush, maybe they sat down and learned, maybe they did Shnai Mikravecha Targum, whatever it is they did, it is likely that in their minds, for some reason, Shachrit was Shachrit, and Kriyat Torah and Musaf were a separate entity. I don't know exactly why this is the way he phrases it, but that's... A theory, and we will hopefully get to more of that, uh, more of those ideas uh, next week. I think I mentioned last time <laughs> by this the minhag, uh, at least the halacha is that we do hagbata sefer Torah before um, 
we do Hagbat Sefer Torah before, the Svaradim and Hag is that we do Hagbat Sefer Torah before we read the, the Torah. The Ashkenaz is to do it after. And it's not clear why, why that was changed by, changed by the Ashkenazim. Um, one of the uh, suggestions for that is because the Minhag simply changed because people would consider, like, they paid their respects to the Sefer Torah when they said, At the beginning, they felt like they paid their respects to the Limud HaTorah. They felt like they paid their respects. Okay, I did my learning today. I saw a Sefer Torah. I said, Torah, So they bugged out. So, in the Ashkenazi places, the suggestion is they changed Hagbat to after Kriyat Torah simply because people felt like they paid their respects already and they had the the um, the freedom to leave. But we'll we'll go into a little bit more of that uh, maybe next week. There is even if it's not liturgical, even if if Kriyat Torah is not strictly a part of the lit- liturgy, it definitely has always maintained a sacred pl- place in the Tefillah because. It's there's a decorum, which uh, there's a decorum which falls on the tzibur and the sefer torah comes out of the heichal, and something about this taking the sefer torah out of the heichal, whether it's theatrics, whether it's real, makes the the kahal behave in a different way. It makes everybody uh, stand and they respect, and it changes the the mode of the room, and it, it's kind of a serious part of the tefillah. When, when people, when the chazan makes a mistake, I heard one rabbi call it the firing squad. Everybody's on edge. Everybody, when the Sefer Torah is out of the heichal, it's on the bimah, everyone's acting with a certain decorum and respect in the shul, simply because the Sefer Torah has that effect on people. And everyone turns into a firing squad, and <laughs> everybody makes sure to, to, uh, to treat that section of tefillah with respect. So it's always felt like a section of tefillah, even if its major institution was limud, limud ha-Torah. So next week, Bezrat Hashem, maybe we'll go into more nuances of the history, if there's any more interesting things that we can cover. I hope there is, because there is a lot of the history that we can cover. There's a lot of minhagim, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, detail here, especially when it comes to Yom Tov and different, and different um, exceptions to the Shabbat uh, reading. We have to also discuss the history of the Haftarah. Where did the Haftarah come from? And then we will move on word to the, the liturgical aspects, which we've discussed somewhat before, and all the Shabbat-specific liturgical aspects which revolve around Kriyat Torah Shabbat. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, I hope we didn't speak too haphazardly, and Bezrat Hashem will continue uh, next week.